Good evening. It's good to be back. I was gone last week. Uh, I was down in Southern California seeing the girls down there at school. So, yeah. And I had a workshop to go to down there too. So, plenty busy. But uh, Brandon, I was able to cover for me last week. So, uh, he went ahead and finished up in uh, chapter two. Got to chapter three. Um, Colossians, by the way. And so we've gone through the first two chapters of um, Paul's letter to the Colossians. And so far we've seen that um, he had to address the downgrade of thinking about the person and work of Jesus Christ brought in by um, the heresies of Gnostics and others uh, who would teach things falsely about Christ. Um, And the way Paul has addressed these is by focusing on sound doctrine regarding Jesus. Um, He's taught us that through these first two chapters. And remember that Paul's writing to those that he's identified as saints. These are are true believers, and these are reminders and warnings for them. It's a call to remain steadfast in the truth, and these are also warnings for those who are a part of the gathering who may not yet have come to faith in Christ and who are believing these false teachings. Uh, They are in danger of being lost forever to to these things. These are serious words that Paul is writing here. So I want to look at some of the things that Paul has reminded the people of and then move to chapter 3 and see the the answer to what is false, to see what it means for a Christian to to hold fast to Christ as we've just been singing about as well. So what I want to do is read um, the passage from verse 20 of chapter 2 through verse 4 of chapter 3, and then we'll have a word of prayer. Colossians 2, 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this evening. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come and sing, worship you um, in song. And now, Lord, as we um, read and study your word, uh, Lord, we offer that up as worship as well. Lord, we want your word to uh, do the work that you have sent it to do in our hearts we thank you for it, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, so Paul's letter reminded them that what they uh, had already learned and believed, but perhaps had forgotten 
or were being confused about were what is on his mind, that all things were created through Jesus and for him. Chapter 1, verse 16, he was before all things, that God has delivered Christians from the domain of darkness and transferred them to the kingdom of his beloved son, that redemption and the forgiveness of sins is found in Christ alone, that Jesus himself is God, the son in the flesh, not a vision or a phantom or a partial spirit. He is the head of the body, the church. That all things would be reconciled to himself by the blood of his cross. That includes Christians who have been reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. And we saw that Christ in you, what Paul said, Christ in you is the mystery revealed to Jew and Gentile alike. An understanding and knowledge about the person and work of Jesus Christ brings assurance to the doubting mind and freedom from the deception and bondage of false doctrine, particularly uh, the false doctrine of adherence to types and shadows above the substance, which is Christ. Believing that to be um, spiritual or in right relationship with God, one must observe certain days or festivals or foods. Okay, that's that's what, some of what was coming against the people there, against the truth. And last week, Brandon went through more of the practices uh, that were being used to cause people to believe they were disqualified from the faith if they did not do them. Like things like asceticism and worship of angels, relying on and preaching one's visions as some sort of truth to follow. These Things are not to be part of the Christian life. They are not to be sought after or believed or practiced. But nevertheless, the people were being deceived by them. They had made their way into the church. And we should recognize that all the things coming against this church in the first century are also coming against the church today. That has not stopped throughout history. As we've been going through church history on Sunday mornings, we see a constant battle for the truth um, it's always having to be fought for. Whole church movements are centered on these things, like worship of angels and asceticism and, and visions and all that. Uh, and we should have no part in them. When, when leaders start talking about their visions and dreams, your powers of discernment should immediately be activated. You should start thinking of the scriptures and what is true. And warning about the dangers of apostasy or the abandonment of true faith, the author of Hebrews scolded the people for not advancing in their understanding and use of the word of God. In Hebrews 5.14, it says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. We need to not be dull of hearing, but train our minds and practices in the truth of God's word. How should we understand what is going on with the ones teaching falsely in these ways? Well, Paul said in chapter 2.18 that they are puffed up without reason by their sensuous minds. Okay, they're proud and arrogant man-pleasers, motivated by their own ego and self-righteous piety, and what awaits them is the gloom of utter darkness forever. And I want to show you how serious 
this error is by looking at another passage, if you want to turn to Jude. So we can see that this is no small thing, okay, that, that we would take it seriously in our day as well, because God has not changed his mind about those who teach these things and those who follow them. We have to take, we have to take these kind of things seriously. And I should probably turn there as well, if I'm going to read it, follow my own instructions. Um, in Jude, uh, we see there, and we'll be looking in particular at verses um, 10 through 13, but I just want to start by pointing out uh, what, what is being talked about here um, about those who creep in unnoticed, right? And they bring in false teaching. And verse 8 said, yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. You jump down to verse 10, we'll look at 10 through 13. Um, he says, But these people blaspheme all they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Now, this, is, this is serious, very serious. And this, this is what Paul is addressing here. And back in our Colossians passage, in, in chapter 2, verse 19, what should they have been doing? According to chapter 2, verse 19, what should they have been doing? Holding fast to the head, which is Christ. That's what they should have been doing. It's from Him that the whole body grows. Not by its own plans and ways, but by the growth that comes only from God himself as, as he sanctifies his children in the truth. We should not be so quick to believe people's visions and dreams about their trips to heaven and their so-called prophecies. God gave us his word for a reason, and we don't need to seek truth outside of it because it won't be found. Truth won't be found outside of the word of God. Paul was getting after the Corinthian church for arguing about him and um, Apollos, uh, and Paul wanted to set them straight. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And he went on in, in 1 Corinthians 3 to remind them of some other truths as well, such as no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And Paul tells them not to be self-deceived by man's wisdom, because it is folly. He wanted the people to follow his and Apollos' uh, example of sticking to what God had given them in his word. 1 Corinthians 4, 6 says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Don't go beyond God's word. Don't go beyond what is written. You'll become puffed up without reason, cutting yourself off from Christ. You'll be, you'll be tempted to do this, but don't do it. 
You'll be tempted because, as Paul says, uh, these things have an appearance of wisdom, right? As you looked at last week, they have an appearance of wisdom, but it's not wisdom. It is not truth. Don't go beyond what is written, particularly what is written about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's been under attack in um, the church at Colossae. The false teachers had not held fast to Christ. Um, and some of the Colossians were falling prey to deception. And Paul wanted to free them from that. Now this has all seemed, sounds like, and it seems to be a bit of a downer to start out like this. But I think it's necessary for us to be in the place of the Colossian Christians hearing this from Paul. How serious this is. That they would have felt the same tension and perhaps disappointment in their own failures in this area for, for being led astray and for believing things that were not true. What does Paul do next, though? Where does he take this after these strong words of warning and rebuke and correction? The next thing he does is talk about what Christians should do to hold fast to Christ. Right? He goes on to encourage them in some uh, reality about who they are in Christ. Paul started drawing their attention to their identity in Christ in verse 20 of chapter 2 from last week. He said, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Okay, by saying that, he's not saying Christians may or may not have died with Christ. He's stating it as a past reality. Right? In other words, if you are a Christian, you have died with Christ and therefore are no longer bound by things like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Those things cannot stop you from sinning. They cannot make you right with God. Only Christ can make you right with God by his shed blood on the cross. Christians have benefited from that reality. So if that's you, don't submit yourself to useless things. Paul says it this way in Romans 6, 6 through 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. It is a reality for Christians, Paul says. We know it. Keep your finger, if you would, in Romans 6. We'll be back there. So we come to the beginning of chapter 3 in, in Colossians. We see this transition in Paul's writing becoming clearer. At the end of chapter 2, he says, Remember, you died with Christ, and now in our passage tonight, Paul moves to the next reality in the life of the Christian after they have died with Christ. What is that reality according to the first part of chapter 3, verse 1? In Colossians. Right, Christians have been raised with Christ. We died with Christ, and now we've been raised. It is a settled reality. Well, we're speaking in a spiritual sense, first of all, because we're not physically dead. Right? We've, we've, we've died with Christ uh, through his death to sin, and now we are raised. He was raised from the dead. Right? We are raised with him. This, again, is in the spiritual sense. Um, and eventually, we will die physically, but we will be raised to life eternally as well. So, 
we, have, what we look at here is that Paul is proving to them that they are set free. He's proving that they have new life in Christ, and they need to be thinking this way. That's what their mindset needs to be. And ask yourself, does, does the, if then you have been raised with Christ, describe you? Does that describe you? Paul's statement there. If it does, then this is true of you. And they knew this, though they may have forgotten. They knew it, though they may have been doubting. But Paul's injecting a dose of supernatural reality here. It's a reality check. And look back at Romans 6 with me, if you still have your finger there, and see the the assurance of these truths that Paul writes about in that letter. Romans 6, 8 through 11. It says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Okay, this is our, this is our mindset. It is reality, but it should also be our mindset that we have, we have died and are now made alive in Christ. Well, what encouragement can you and I find from that truth? What encouragement do we get from that? Our sins are forgiven? Okay, absolutely. What else? We've died to sin, we're made alive with Christ. How is that encouraging? Yeah, certainly being alive in Christ helps us in our lives lived right now in terms of temptation, those kind of things. Um, being in Christ, we now have the ability to um, resist temptation. doesn't mean we always do. As we know, we still struggle with sin. Uh, but sure, that's an encouragement. Being alive in Christ, we have this truth brings us encouragement also because we have hope for not only for today, but hope for eternity, right? No fear in life or in death. We don't have to fear those things. Considering Christians being raised with Christ, Paul gives two instructions to the church, which are um, a proper response to God, and we find them in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3 in Colossians, where Paul says Christians are to seek and to set. Okay, verse 1 is they are to seek the things that are above. And verse 2, they're to set their minds on things that are above. Verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. First, these are spiritual realities. Our death and life in Christ are spiritual truths. And what Paul is instructing here is, is only possible for someone who's saved. Okay, someone who has been born of the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2.12 says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, 
but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. You see that, that truth in there, that as Christians, we, uh, we've been given the Spirit of God for a reason, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Without that, we would not understand the things of God. It's because we're in the Spirit. An unbeliever cannot seek the things that are above. Unbeliever cannot set their minds on the things that are above. Why can't they do that? They don't have the Holy Spirit, right? Because these are these things that Paul is telling the Christians to do are empowered by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, of which only believers can benefit. So only believers can seek and set their minds on things that are above. And we can only do it because our life is controlled by the Spirit of God. In Galatians 2.20, says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, this doesn't do away with our responsibility to obey God's commands. It teaches us that we can only desire to do and accomplish the task in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we live our Christian lives. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not in our own strength. Now, the question is, what are the things that are above? We know where Paul is talking about when he says above because he identifies where above is, right? Where does Paul say above is in verse 1? At the right hand of God, where Christ is, right? So he, he identifies that, where he is, seated at the right hand of God in heaven. Right where he said he would be doing what he said he would be doing as we benefit from the helper that Jesus promised the Father would send. Here we can, we can see the triune nature of God as all three persons of the Trinity are present, the Father and the Son above. We are indwelled and empowered by the Spirit of God to seek that which is above. And this, um, figure, figuratively speaking, is of heaven, but really it's not saying these things are, are sitting there in heaven, like far from us, and we've got to somehow figure out how to get there and grab a hold of them. Paul's talking about seeking things that are of heaven, higher things, things that are of God, not lower earthly things like Paul had previously laid out in the, in the previous chapter. We should not be asking um, what the things are sitting in heaven for us to grasp, but what are the things God wants us to value and pursue as his children while we are still here. The things above are things of God's will that we should seek. What what keeps spirit-empowered Christians from seeking these things? What keeps Christians from seeking the things that are above and setting our minds on them? Okay, distractions of the world, sure. We're afraid of what he might tell us. Okay, fear, maybe. You're talking about God, what God might do. 
you're afraid of what God might do if you seek the things that are above? Hmm. I don't think I ever thought of it that way. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, now, are you talking about like not wanting to seek the things of God because he might ask you to do something hard? Okay. Oh, okay, okay, sure. Yeah, we don't, maybe we don't want to do the hard things that, that come with the Christian life or the things that God has for us in particular to do. We're afraid of that. We're afraid that maybe he'll take away something we hold dear and we don't want to let go. Okay. You know, part of our problem with this is our, our ongoing battle with sin, right? And we do, I think that's a good example of, like, there's things we just want to cling to. We don't want to let go of. You know, the Bible talks about sin that clings so closely to us, right? It weighs us down, worldly cares. But now that we have the Spirit of God, where can Christians find and understand the higher things that God wants for his children? Is it when I, if I have a vision and I tell you a vision? Where do we find it? The Bible, right? The Word of God. That's where. We want to know as Christians, what are the things above? What are the higher things that God has for me? Then I need to go and see what he has said about those things. We're, we're to seek these things in his Word. And the word for seek there is an imperative. It means to keep on seeking. Right? It's, it's a pattern for the life of Christians. It should const, be a constant that we seek and keep on seeking the things that are above. What do we do when we find them in the Word? Well, sometimes maybe we do what you're talking about. We're, we don't want to do them because it's hard. Right? It, it, there's a cost to it, to living as a Christian. There's a cost. Sure. I, I think that's absolutely true. But what Paul's talking about here and what he says that we're to do with these things is that we are to set our minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. He says set our minds. And that means really to, to think about them the same way God does, to, to make those godly things our things. God's will and desires for our lives to be our will and desires for our lives. Not in belief only or in, in understanding what they are only, but in practice. Yeah. S- stare at God and glance at our lives. Okay. Right, right. So basically keeping your focus on him, keep your gaze on Christ. Not on the things that are there. Yeah. Okay. Sure. These things that are above that he's talking about, these are, are contrasted with earthly things, he says. Things that are, there's, these are things that are not of God. Things that are not eternal but are passing away. The Apostle John wrote what I think sums up um, everything that might fit into the list of things that are on the earth. And we, we saw it when we went through 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. He says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And um, 
D.L. Moody, I, I found a quote from D.L. Moody I really liked um, going along with this. He said, I have known men who have been up in balloons, and they have told me that when they want to rise higher, they just throw out some of the sand with which they ballast the balloon. Now, I believe one reason why so many people are earthly-minded and have so little of the Spirit of heaven is that they have gone too much ballast in the shape of love for earthly joys and gains. And what you want is to throw out some of the sand, and you will rise higher. And that's what Paul is saying. That's what Paul's writing about. That's what he's telling the Colossians to do. You know, throw out the sandbags of what appears to be of value but is not. T- toss those things, those things uh, that are earthly and not of eternal value, according to Christ. And Christians are to rise higher and higher in spirit-empowered, holy living as we seek those things that are above. And we find them in the Scriptures. We should set our minds on them, not just to understand what they are, but to be obedient to them. Right Again, and this is not to be saved, this is because we are saved. It is a result of our salvation. Uh, whereas the false teaching of the, for the Colossians that have been coming in would, would twist that. And it would say, do these things to be seen as righteous by God. But we are to, to rise higher. Why should we do this? Why? Because of what Paul says um, next, which... Um, is almost a repeat of what he says earlier. In verse 3, he says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The word for there is tying this sentence to all the truths that uh, he just finished writing about. For you have died, or because you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Why do I seek? Why do I set my mind, because I have died and my life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's why. We've talked about dying with Christ and rising with Christ. But what do we make of the fact that Paul says the Christian's life is hidden with Christ in God? What do you think he means by that? Hidden with Christ in God. Kind of interesting way of way of saying that. Does anybody's translation say something different? No. No guesses there on what he means by that. Uh, unbelievers. Okay, that's very true. Unbelievers cannot understand why we, we do what we do as Christians, for sure. They cannot understand our salvation um, unless God reveals that to them, right? I think, uh, really, when, when Paul's writing this here, it's, it's another way of talking about and reminding Christians that their salvation is secure. Okay, your salvation is secure. He's, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And according to the Apostle Peter, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's in 1 Peter 1, 4, and 5. So salvation in Christ cannot be taken away. It cannot be lost. You cannot walk away from it because you're not holding it in the first place. You didn't, you didn't create it. You didn't gain it on your own effort. You're not holding on to it or keeping it. Your Savior is. It's being kept for you in heaven. We hide things so that nobody can get to them, right? We, we hide things so they're safe. And that's what Paul is saying. Your salvation is safe with Christ in God. So while you're seeking and setting your minds on the things that are above, be free from the worry of condemnation because of sin. We should know that as Christians. They should know that as Christians, that their sins are paid for. He's he's already reminded them of that through the first two chapters. What's that? True, yeah, not, not a new thing. Certainly not a new concept. Yeah, that's true. In, in a lot of um, the Psalms, in, the, in some of the pr- uh, prayers, and even after some of the laments, uh, we can see those, those truths as well. And what that does really for us when we think about, the, when we read those verses, and we think about even these verses, it reminds us as Christians, it gives us assurance of our salvation. It reminds us how salvation became a reality in our lives and, and who made it possible and that he is the one keeping it. Uh, so I don't, I don't have to fear losing it. Because what if I had to fear losing it, and, and that was a genuine, and my, my fear was justified, then what would that mean for Christians? If I feared losing my salvation and my fear was justified, what would that mean? Huh? Okay, you're not saved, but if I was, and if the, if the reality was that I could lose it, there would never be any assurance, right? Because if it always relied upon me to keep it, well, I know I would lose it. <laughs> I would lose it all the time, right? So So praise God that he keeps it for us. So before Paul moves on to some very practical instructions for Christian living, considering these stated realities, he has one more encouraging reminder. He brings the church to the most anticipated of Christian doctrines. And if you had to say what is the most anticipated of Christian doctrines, what would it be? Was that? Being in heaven. Okay. Second coming. Right. Right. Second coming of Christ. Paul says in verse 4, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It is the most anticipated because it's what salvation has been all about. Right? Not, not only that God saved wicked sinners but that he would grant them eternal life. 
And this eternal life is not just alone. It's not me on an island somewhere. It's not me with a bunch of other people somewhere, though there will be others there. But the, the significance of what he says there is you also will appear with him in glory. We will be with him. Like, it's not eternal life alone or just with you guys. Not, not, nothing against you, but it's with the Savior, with him in glory. It's the, it's the end of what has been called the golden chain of salvation. Right? And we see it in Paul's letter to the Romans in Romans 8, 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's the whole, it's all the way through. You see, from beginning, I was going to say beginning to end, but it's not end. From beginning to eternity, we see it all the way through. God is making all this work out for our good and for his glory. And so to, as he's wrapping up his whole, uh, his, all his writing about all the false teachings and all these things are going on and how he doesn't want them to be deceived or deluded. He doesn't want them to be, feel disqualified because they're not doing the things that these false teachers say they should be doing. He's reminding them of their identity in Christ. They died with Christ. They've been raised with Christ. They want, he, want, he wants their gaze focused on Christ. Seek the things that are above. Set your minds on those things. Agree with God about what those things are. Seek them, not just to find them, but to practice them. So when we continue next time, we have our reasons then. We'll see the reasons for doing what Paul says to do next. How to live the Christian life. How to set your minds on the things that are above and what they are. We have, we have uh, a lot of things he's going to list out here that are a part of the Christian life. Okay, not only things to, uh, more things to get rid of, but what to replace them with. And so, this is his, as he's going, he's, he's encouraging them, he's spent enough time warning them, now he's getting into this section where he's encouraging them as Christians on how they are to live. Don't let those other things um, you know, persuade you of something else. Uh, your life is in Christ. And here's how, here's what the things above are, and here's what we should be seeking and um, setting our minds on. Any questions about that before we close? Okay. All right, well, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for tonight. Thank you for your word. Um, Lord, I pray that you would, as Paul was encouraging the Colossian believers, Lord, that we also would be encouraged by these words, the reality of who we are in Christ, our Savior. Lord, that we are, we are free from condemnation. We are free from sin and free from death, all because of Christ. Uh, nothing to do with, with our own merit. And we thank you, Lord, for the gift of salvation through Christ. Uh, what, a, what a gracious and loving and kind thing you did. And Lord, in light of that, may we seek the things that are above, 
and set our minds on the things that are above, the things of you. May you continually sanctify us in the truth of your word, that we would know what your will is, and that we would do what your will is. We thank you, Lord, that we have not only hope for today, but eternal hope, that we look forward to um, the coming again of Christ in glory. And we thank you, Lord, that as your children, you are keeping this inheritance for us, Lord, this eternal life uh, with Christ. What an amazing thing. We praise you for it and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.